He can't, Aaron can't explain anything. And, and so all of you know, um, you're walking into a conversation. There has been some time travel shenanigans because when you listen to next week's, you're going to see that we were actually in the past. Um, but this is Star Trek, so you all understand it. I don't think we have to explain much about it. But as I get to the introduction, you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm Michael Dismuth. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. Uh, RPG still have a tickle on my throat for two months. That's some sort of um, weird plague. I need McCoy to help with. Anyways, I'm getting better uh, slowly. Um, I'm also uh, a contributing blogger on continuing missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And now I want to introduce to you someone very special, a man who went and took a team of Star Trek adventure creatives and was able through his leadership and project management skills be able to get the original series utopia planitia starfleet supplement not only nominated but get the judges award at the 2023 uk games expo jim johnson thank you michael appreciate that um yeah so it, it was a it was a big big huge honor to uh, to be nominated first of all because uh, there's some stiff competition in that in that uh, uh, category uh, but then, you know, we won Judge's Choice. And by the time this episode airs, we'll have found out who got the, the People's Choice Award, because I think the UKGE does a, 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 a Judge's Choice and then also a, play, a People's Choice Award at the actual convention, which happened early June. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, huge honor. Uh, gosh, it was so much work to put that book together. A lot of cat herding. Um, a lot of opportunities, though, too, because we were able to pull in a lot of, uh, pull in a lot of names. I think uh, having built that great relationship with uh, Thomas Maroney, over at Star Trek Online, really upped our game because uh, uh, we were able, because uh, like one of my big hopes for that book, not to digress, <laughs> but we're going to be talking about Starships tonight anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my big design, like my number one design want list for that, um, my want list for that book was to make sure we had art for every single Starship. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we made that happen, Part, you know, in, by and large, thanks to Thomas, because he has so many resources available to him and he was able to dig into his Rolodex of people and we were able to find some uh, some artists who were available to add some extra renders that we didn't have. Uh, so, it, it, I mean, yeah. it, that book came together really nicely. And um, Aaron, our guest tonight, oh, first of all, I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and <laughs> editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Manipulous Entertainment. Uh, low these many years. I am also the co-host of this year's show with Michael. Uh, low these many 80-something episodes now going on strong. Uh, super happy to be here. Super excited to talk about this game. And this franchise with you, all the fans that are out there, because um, Star Trek is a huge passion of mine for all my life. And uh, I am just super humble and excited to be in this position to be able to create this cool stuff so that you can play games with your friends and your families and whatever. And win awards, award-winning stuff. Make sure to add that award-winning stuff. The, the, the award is a nice. I'm taking fun. I'm really having no, fun embarrassing Jim. He's so modest uh, that I'm I'm gushing to the point of creating a tertiary temporal event, which you'll hear more about next week. But Aaron, can you explain that? Aaron Paulier, our guest, can you please explain what a tertiary temporal event well, is? We we could say it was like a recursive a recursive timeline that there was like a how would i describe it a, a sawtooth snap that ends up recurring 
sequentially between three timelines. I don't know. I, 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 totally I, I, have weird, I have I have weird paradox definitions in my head. So a sawtooth yeah. snap is kind of yeah. like one of those. It's sort of like a grandfather paradox that uh, there's two separate timelines that tend to snap back between each okay. other. But now you do three because there's two yeah. separate. It looks like it looks like a hair. It like a hair braid. It looks like a hair braid. Like yeah, yeah. yeah, sort of like yeah. that. or like okay. a, saw, a, a saw's teeth. Oh, you yeah. know how it's that makes total sense. I will. Uh, I will. Uh, uh, I will. I will add my my humble contribution to all that techno babble is to is to grab the 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 duct tape and uh, slap a quantum in there somewhere and mm. just uh, it's a it's a quantum sawtooth entanglement ribbon. Tertiary temporal uh, event. Tertiary temporal something. <laughs> Blah blah blah. <laughs> and I understand. I completely. Anyway, hey Aaron, how about you introduce yourself to the uh, to the to the fans? Hello, I'm Aaron Pollier. Um, I am a long-term Star Trek Adventures uh, contributor and freelance writer. Uh, I I tend to do starship science, technology, shenanigans. Yeah, lots of things. Yeah. But yeah, you've 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 seen my work. I, I I've even done a few adventures here and there. So. Yep, and Aaron is our resident uh, Starship expert. He's written uh, pretty much every Starship you've seen in the game from day one. So uh, if uh, if you're looking for good Starship uh, lore, he's your man. And uh, I tell you, at some point, we should do an episode just all about Starships. Starship riffing, where we take, yeah. we take a random Starship paragraph block from any one of our su- supplements, grab a, sex, a, grab a, a sentence out of it, and just riff and do do something amazing with that, like make a ship or, or a space frame or something off that one sentence, and just do amazing stuff with it. Um, totally. You've seen his work from from the beginning, like his stuff is in the core book all the way up to uh, up to Utopia Planitia, Lower Decks, and here we are. So mm-hmm. here we yeah. are talking about Lower Decks, Chapter Seven, all about starships, star bases, and vehicles. It's kind of a clunky title. I couldn't come up with something better by the deadline, so I just went with it. <laughs> well, I want to say too, for those of you who think that wow, there's so many starships, uh, what Aaron does too. Uh, I, since I'm in Gushmu today, what Aaron does is he creates personalities with these starship space frames, where they become more. And if you slow down and actually read through them, I can tell you right now, if it wasn't for Aaron, I would never have played a Malakowski class and I would never have played a Sydney class in my games. And I am in love with these ships. And maybe at first they don't catch the eye, but when you really dig into them and their history, they do. So I was so happy that you did Lower Decks Chapter 7. And now we're getting into these fantastic ships we're starting to see in, in animated form. Maybe one day we'll see a real live action California class. That would be cool. But until then, hope. this is what we have, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll just add that um, uh, Aaron's stuff is uh, it's a blessing and a curse for me when I read it because not in a negative sense, but just because I am I am kind of the 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 forever GM. And uh, to date, I still have not found many opportunities to actually play this game. Like I've run it a lot. I've I've, I've written it a lot. I've been project manager on it forever now. And uh, I just have not had a lot of time to actually to just sit down and just play the game. But what I do is when I'm editing these things and I'm reading these things and I'm getting all these ideas from all these different ship classes, it's just so inspiring because it's like, oh, this this write-up on the, um, um, oh, what's the one in the Discovery book, the, the medical ship, uh, uh, the Hiawatha. Hiawatha. Uh, I could do a whole campaign on, the Hi- on a Hiawatha doing medical relief during the war. That would be so mm-hmm. cool. I could get into all that. 
And then, uh, you know, reading about the, um, the uh, like you said, Michael, the Mel- Malakowski's class. And, oh, uh, awesome. Uh, or Sydney, which is a colonist transport. Exactly. That one is just like so much you could do with it. Oh, there's just so many classes and you just add so many cool little details. And it's like, oh, I could go all I could go all over this. And uh, it, it makes the, uh, the the fanfic writer in me happy because it's like if I had the time, I would just write a whole bunch of fanfic about all these Starship classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have time for that either, which is a, just a sad reality. Um, but, uh, I just, I just love how much cool stuff you're able to pack into all these starship write-ups. Um, and I, I just hope that there are fans out there who are reading this stuff and like, oh, we're going to run this campaign. We don't even know what class of ship we want. Cause there's so many cool options, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, oh, we could do this and we could do this and we could do this. And like, there's so many, like the, the Star Trek tapestry is so big, so big. And, and like all these classes do different things really well. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it's just like, oh, you know, what kind of game do you want to run? What kind of game do you want to play? Do you want to do deep space exploration? Well, bing, 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 bing. Here's six classes that can do that. Yeah. Do you want to do uh, core world, uh, you know, relief and recovery? Well, you know, boom, there's a bunch of ships that will do that. Uh, in fact, at some point, some fan needs to create some sort of matrix to say, like, here's here's 10 styles of play. And here's mm-hmm. six space frames for each 10 styles of play. And, like, do this huge matrix of, like, mix and match and like okay well you want to play this kind of game here you know think about these six classes of ships uh and then and then just you know then go reference uh aaron's right yeah and i have some questions about the write-ups too so so let's jump into it because i I actually want to talk about your your thinking process behind some of these designs i want to know whether it came off from you or whether you did some you know research through alpha and beta canon and stuff but why don't you go ahead and start and talk to us about of course the most popular ship from lower decks and that's the california class the California class was both the easiest and most difficult one to write because we see it on screen a whole bunch. So I have to make sure that I reference everything that has been referenced about Callie's in the, in the write-up. So that's the, the, the difficult part of it. The easy part of it is there's a ton of things that I can use as a jumping off point for the write-up that's already shown in the show. So we, we see them in a whole bunch of different colors uh, I, I try to reference this idea that those colors reference different specialties that the ships have. Um, since it's a California class, it, it suggests that they're all built in the solar system. Uh, and and we, they're all named after places that are in California. So it's a human built ship, even though there might be non-humans serving on board or even a totally non-human crew. Let's let's just kind of make these a jumping off point it's a it's a it's a uh jack of all traits ship that's there for support so you know let's let's give it engineering let's give it science let's give it medicine it's meant to just be there to help it's not there to lead fleets it's not there to be uh a a a battle cruiser it's meant to help yeah, I mean, it, every other ship. And I love that you said it doesn't have to have a whole human crew. In fact, that makes me think that it would be cool if there's a California class ship called the Monterey Bay and it was all cetacean. I did. Did I not reference that? I thought I might. Have. <laughs> or even the Salsalito. Or even the Salsalito. And it calls Salsalito, back to Star yeah. Trek uh, Four, right? <laughs> yeah, How yeah, cool yeah. would that be, right? Yeah. The yeah, Salsalito, all cetacean. I think the, the only <laughs> ships that I reference are, are Mojave, San Andreas, and Oh, God, I can't even pronounce that name. You're going to have to look at that, Michael. I'm sorry. I'm in California. I've never even heard of that city. Yeah, that's that. I mean, I only took 
places from California. I can't pronounce it though. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna offend anyone by ch- attempting I'll to, have to look at I thought it was Escondido on quick passing, but no, that's Escondido. No, no, no. oh, let me try Escolzia. I'm done. Okay, yeah. Escolzia. <laughs> Escoscolzia. Well, well, and then I do have I'm a sorry. question about the design because you have to explain this to me because people okay. have been talking about it. And okay. when I look at the California class, you have the main, you know, saucer section. Yes. How do I get from the saucer section to engine main engineering? Turbo lift through the, the through through the struts. Those pylons. So if those struts get yeah. blown away, there's no getting to engineering. Well, Is it if a- those if those struts get blown away, you have bigger problems than getting to engineering because engineering is <laughs> likely floating a couple AUs behind you. Exactly. Yeah. So now, now can they fly? Is it to, t- I can't remember. Does it, se- does it have separation? It doesn't yes, have separate. That, uh, well, I wrote that the, the center, <laughs> the center engineering with the deflector and main engineering can be ejected entirely in case the warp core itself can't be ejected. Okay. And that would leave the main saucer with the warp nacelles that you could power from the ship's uh, the ship's reactors, fusion reactors to get very, very limited warp speed still. All right. I just want to reiterate for all you Star Trek fans out here, these Star Trek Adventure RPG books are the new technical manual. Where else are you going to learn this stuff? Even if you don't play the RPG, just have it for the technical manual piece of it, right? And Aaron's went is behind a lot of that that concept. It's so awesome. Yeah, uh, and I Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, John. I, I just I was just going to say be careful with that though because you might open up a can of worms because there's a there's a whole subset of fans out there who want way more technical detail than this game was ever designed to, to provide. I mean, there's, yeah. they're, they're, they, they want to go into the weeds on, on every technical aspect of the book. So these aren't really, these aren't really technical manuals, like in the, in the Franz Joseph sense or mm-hmm. the, or the Stern Bakakuda, you know, TNG tech manual sense. Um, we still it's the best we have right now. What's it's that? the best we have right now that I know of. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not complaining because like as a, as a role play focused gamer and game master like this is this is exactly what i want this is this is so much great detail mm. and and world building and and like ship building and and uh i don't want to disparage it by calling it fluff but it's it's so good that that it, it sparks my imagination in ways that numbers on a page in a technical manual just can't do it like l- like looking at something and saying oh this has 12 decks and does you know 72 blah 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 kilowatt kilowatt mm power like i don't care what does that mean what does that mean for the story it doesn't tell me anything yeah. but uh, yeah and i i need to remember not to put in like specific numbers like that very often <laughs> because I, yeah. then then that gets too far into the weeds yeah but like the other thing i wanted to do with the california class is to make sure that at its base it's a good support vessel so it's going to have extensive shuttle bays mm-hmm. so it can move a lot of cargo and people around even when transporters aren't there and then the dedicated personnel and i didn't specify dedicated personnel so it could be dedicated personnel medical dedicated personnel science division dedicated personnel whatever like for the cerritos it's just operations yeah so they have an amazingly large operations division and of course people could adapt this to like vip quarters for certain things they could always swap out talents like vip quarters might make sense but definitely a yeah why not why not have dedicated personnel command you could, and they it could be like an internal ambassadorial ship moving between Federation worlds uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. We it could it could be the the late 24th century version of my my Tellarite uh, uh, kitchen ship going world to world and finding the worst foods possible to learn <laughs> from them. 
That's yeah, a real I mean, thing in our game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Aaron, you even mentioned that the uh, you know the 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 livery, the the paint schemes on these ships, we see them in red and blue and, and gold, right? So mm-hmm. it totally makes sense that your dedicated personnel might be geared toward whatever that ship's specialty is. Like uh, you might have a diplomatic heavy uh, Cali class ship doing second contacts and uh, and that kind of stuff, and then you might have a a medical relief Cali out there doing. Uh, you know, emergency relief and support and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. plague maintenance and that kind of stuff. And uh, it just reflects the delivery on the ship as well as the dedicated personnel. So I thought that was great, great touch, great addition. I uh, for the, we didn't quite mention it at the top, but I should probably just mention in passing here. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the Utopia Planitia, uh, uh, or actually, I guess the award-winning Utopia Planitia Starfleet source book, uh, you'll know that the space frames in that book were presented uh, like a lot of lore about the ship, a lot of a lot of great detail, and then a space frame stat block, and then uh, we had Aaron write up a uh, and uh, Thomas uh, Maroney wrote up some of them too in the Utopia book. Uh, so we got the the space frame, and then we got a notable starship for each one. Uh, so it's a two page spread for each starship class. Um, so we we continued that format into this book. So if you're familiar with uh, Utopia Planitia, you'll be familiar with the look and feel uh, in this one. So there's a continuity here, and it just so happened that we developed these books these two books back to back, right? So we went from Utopia Planitia right into Lower Decks and uh, it just worked out um, really well to keep that mm-hmm. format going. Cool. Any, any a, other words on the Cerritos or the um, or the Cali class before we move on? No, I, I think we can move on. Okay. Okay. So, uh, uh, okay, I'll just go. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Michael uh, waved me on. Um, so uh, the next uh, class that we decided to add uh, is admittedly a uh, a partial reprint from the command source book, and that was mm-hmm. the letter class. Uh, initially, I had not planned to in- include this, but given how important the Titan was to the first couple of seasons of um, of Lower Decks, I thought it appropriate to put it in here, only because I couldn't assume that everybody's gone and bought the command source book. And I thought, well, you know, if you haven't bought, if you're new to the game and you bought the core book and you want to get into Lower Decks you might be kind of pissed off if you didn't get the Luna class and the mm-hmm. Titan. So I, I had to kind of play with that a little bit. I, I'm kind of adverse to reprinting a lot of stuff wholesale um, in books yeah. as much as I can, because it's like, it just, I, it just don't think it's fair to the fans to just like regurgitate the same stuff over and over again. But in this case, I, I found that middle ground of like, well, they might not have bought the command source book, but they would buy this because it's the Titan and because it's Lord Dex. So yeah. I went ahead and put it in here. Can you um, clarify something for me too yeah. that I, I want to understand? So that we have the Luna here, which shows in Prodigy, I mean, sorry, in, in um, Lord X, but then we know we have the Titan show up in Picard season two and three. Uh-huh. Are there differences? Are those different space frames? I, I yeah. Well, yeah, the Titan that's in Picard in in picard the picard series is not a luna class it's constitution uh, uh constitution three or neo constitution ah that's right that's right and is that the same so the neo constitution that was in picard season three is the same that was in picard season two no i didn't think uh am i am i misremembering for the moment that titan was in Season two. Oh, I'm mixing up with the Stargazer. I'm thinking Stargazer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stargazer is completely different. That's right. So Titan comes back. It's a new space frame, Neo Constitution. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So we have something to look forward to if we ever do a Picard season. I was scared for a second. I I was, oh oh my God, did did Titan appear in season two of Picard? Have I completely (laughs) lost my mind? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good to know. 
There might have been a Luna class in there in, in the oh. background or within all the all the different ships that were in the first part of and the last part of season two. But uh, as far as I know, is. I don't think the Titan made an appearance no. herself. Um, so I think uh, the Titan, uh, I mean, on screen anyway, we've only seen it in lower decks. It's certainly been in the Titan series of novels. Uh, Sean uh, Torngo uh, uh, design, won the design contest way back when uh, Simon Schuster ran the design contest back in the, gosh, early 2000s, I think. Uh, he, he he designed it initially, uh, and then you know they just carried it forward. Um, so, uh, Aaron, I don't remember if we did a whole lot of rewriting here. I think you I think you did some tweaks to the command source book, uh, Luna, right up, and then pulled it in here as, as opposed to just being a straight cut and paste. Um, yeah, I tweaked it. I tweaked it a little bit, but I don't yeah. remember exactly what I did. Yeah, here. and you brought the you brought the numbers in line with the Utopia Planitia. For yes, sure. um, yes, and when you know, if nothing else, we did a clean edit pass on it, so it's. Mm -hmm. Should be clean and tidy, but uh, yeah, those of you who are fans of the Luna class, uh, myself included, uh, my uh, my long running STA game was on a Luna class, the uh, uh, the um, Galatea. Um, mm. But uh, so we got the uh, the Luna in here, and then the of course the Titan is the uh, notable ship that we included in here because uh, of course we would because that's the one that was in the show. Um, yes. Anything else you'd like to mention about the uh, Titan class before we move on? Uh, no, no. It, it's if if you have the command source book, if you have Utopia Planitia, you kind of know what's going on with Luna class. Yeah. Great ship. Great, great uh, versatile space frame. Yes. Uh, you can do a lot of stuff with this. So uh, I had a lot of fun running it as a game master. And uh, I know that I've, I've seen a handful of uh, groups out there using the Luna as their hero ship. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, in my opinion, a worthy addition to the, to the canon of uh, space frames. Of course, there's so many now. Mm -hmm. uh, but a really, a really solid late next gen era, um, uh, post mm -hmm. uh, Borg kind of uh, post Dominion War kind of thing. So uh, have fun with it if you want to. All right, moving on. Uh, we got the uh, we got the Osler Osler. I'm class. so happy this one got in here. By the yeah, way, Aaron. yeah, this, this is, is awesome. This is the Section 14 ship that we see. Um, division Division 14. Division Division 14. Right. Yeah, I have Section 14 some places, but I um. The Osler is, is a part of a idea that I had with California. Oh, what? Nope. Just uh, making a note to myself that that's a, that's a typo that I will need to fix at some point. <laughs> Whoops. Um, yes, we all make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, Osler is, well, I had this idea that if, if Cal, uh, California class was primarily human uh, and made in the solar system, that some of these more strange classes that we see either in the background or somehow get featured right away um, are going to be made by other Federation member worlds. So Osler, since it looks so aggressive and angular and all that, I thought, boy, wouldn't it be interesting if I, if I made this an Andorian-built ship? That was but, so cool. I loved that you, that you did that. And so I, I really tried to describe it as like, okay, it's built at the Imperial Fleet Yards and a different shipyard that's an Android. Like I, ca I call it Ringgate Nadir. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know. I think that's that's just that name probably can set off a few, uh, a few stories that you might be able to write. But I, I, you know, I made it this aggressive, aggressive looking ship. It has bonuses to con security and engineering, but. You know, it's used because uh, it, it's used for uh, Division 14 because it is look, it does look so intimidating and no one wants to mess with it because, hey, you don't want to have people messing with a ship filled with medical 
you know, medical emergencies that you're trying to people that you're trying to help. Yeah. What was your reasoning? Yeah. But what was your reasoning that you didn't put medicine higher? I mean, I, I honestly feel that now that we've seen the show, you know, I did the write up for division 14. I would think that these are some of the brightest medical minds in, in the quadrant and, and the ship only has medicine three. Uh, it doesn't have a bonus to medicine. Do we see them ever treating the people on board? They're literally Uh-oh. just shoved into a bay. <laughs> okay. Okay. You gave some thought. Okay. Okay. I agree. Um, right. So it's quick. Like uh, it, the notable starship is USS Osler and it's a crisis and emergency response vessel. So yes, it does have medicine three, but it's there. It has improved warp drive. It does have an advanced sick bay in case like somebody is really dying, but it's there to move people to your um, endoconimus, uh, endoconimus five for treatment uh, very quickly. And right? that outpost is probably medical five and science four and yeah, all that good stuff. Okay. Exactly. See, see people, Aaron thinks about it. I, I try to catch him all the time, but he always has because has I mean, reasoning behind it. If you look at that, if you look at, if you look at Osler, does it look like a medical ship? No, not really. It it looks like a dagger flying through space. It looks like it's supposed to be intimidating. I mean, again, again, this is my second favorite episode of Lower Decks because when it showed up, it just permeated evil. And yet it's not. It's a benevolent ship. And I just I I just love how they did that twist in the episode. and even even the captain of the vessel is just oozing yeah. menace and evil, and it's lit dark. You know, it's all darkly lit and all angular, even inside. So you think, boy, this thing is just oozing menace. Yeah. And maybe the ship overall actually was really designed for that purpose, but it's just being uh, USS Osler itself is going to be used for medical transport. Yeah. Great write up. Right up on that that's the power of, uh, of of humor and subverting expectations, right? Mm-hmm. You, you present one thing, and then you you do the one eighty, and and hopefully your players are, are surprised, and your viewers are surprised, and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, great, great stuff, great stuff. And and yes, in full transparency, there there are exact there are exactly three references to section fourteen in this book, and they're only on these two pages. So. But no. it's not your fault. And let me tell you why. Oh, it's, it, is it's, my fault. it was a tertiary temporal divergent <laughs> <Yeah>. field <laughs> that has been plaguing us. So it just came in from the other universe where it is called section 14, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the parallel Aaron that wrote that. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for him. Bizarro Aaron. Bizarro, well, he's the, he's the Aaron with no facial hair. It's from the, uh, from the mirror yeah. universe. Yeah. Mirror, yeah. yeah. Mirror, mirror, mirror. Okay. All right. Moving on. Let's talk about the Obina. Obinas. Okay. So Obinas. I thought were really cool because they look like Excelsior uh, mm. ships and I love Excelsior. And so, yeah, I wanted to make this a ship that was fast, uh, kind of a replacement for Excelsior's that were slowly getting pretty darn old at this point. Excelsior's were around for about a hundred years. So let's make an Excelsior like vessel that uses quantum slipstream drive Um. And of course, since it has an amazing propulsion drive, it has to be built by primarily Yo-Yo Dyne propulsion <laughs> systems of Proxima. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love the design of Excelsior. So I, I loved kind of writing this up about it truly being another experiment in strange advanced propulsion. And uh, yeah, 
that that was the general idea behind it. So of course it has huge fusion reactors to help power the ship and uh, extra reactors, I should say, and then an improved warp drive even outside of quantum slipstream. So it can just cruise around really, really quickly. And awesome. by the way, the, no, the notable starship is USS Archimedes. Makes sense. Uh, Captain, Captain Gomez's ship, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great stuff. And I, I just, I, I love the fact that it looks a lot like the Excelsior. And uh, I just, I love the idea that it's, um, it's just another um, late next gen era ship that you can just throw into your game and do something unique and different. If you're, if you're tired of the galaxy classes and the intrepids and the, uh, you know, the Akiras and you want to just kind of, you know, do grab a ship that not a lot of people have seen and make your own campaign around it. Um, nothing wrong, you know, nothing wrong with an Obina. Like it's, it's, it's absolutely worth using for multi-purpose, multi-role explorer, uh, you mm-hmm. know, pathfinder mm-hmm. surveys, et cetera. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff you can do with this, uh, cause it's just so, so much fun to, uh, to think about. So, uh, uh, Michael, do you have anything, anything to add on the Obina or? Uh... No, I'm just happy that that Sonia Gomez was a captain of one. That's really awesome. I love Sonia Gomez. Yeah, yeah. They don't allow her to take coffee on the bridge, though, even though she's the captain, though, I heard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we could get into the whole carpet conversation. Maybe, maybe her, maybe, maybe the Archimedes has like a special... Uh, uh, grading. Like, it has grading. She doesn't grading. even get carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Go straight down. Oh, I was thinking either. You know, oh, grading is funny. I was I was thinking it would have like uh, some sort of carpet that's made out of super absorbent uh, um, fabric or something that uh, is uh, like uh, <laughs> auto wicking, right? So you spill on it and then it gradually uh, uh, evaporates itself. I don't know. <laughs> you just we could go on. All right, let's go on to the uh, to the Parliament class. Okay, so the Parliament. Um, I I. I kind of came up with this idea that there would be two branches of thought in Starfleet. Um, One kind of going towards this idea of pod-based starships like like Luna and Nebulas, being that those were just incredibly adaptive and uh, to different mission profiles. But then uh, another line of thought of, hey, let's just make um, really adaptable space frames, but without pods. Um, the pods might just require too much equipment on board that has to be like plug and play. And it, it might require all these different updates and, and constant connections. I don't know. And, and the pods might not be very accessible. So Parliament represents that idea of making just a generally more adaptable ship and not relying on pods. So Parliament starships, uh, you know, have have their big saucer just just like most federation starships but also have an underslung um an underslung secondary hull like 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 nebulas they have the kind of underslung nacelles like like nebulas and 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 you know the reliant and things like that so i i, I gave this i gave these ships uh improved hull integrity because I like that compact design tends to tends to make me think of a more rugged starship, maybe not rugged design, but it's just strong, stronger. It's able to maintain its structural integrity fields in a much more compact area and improved impulse drive. Because we see the thing have uh, when we see parliament class starships, we see them with large impulse manifolds glowing. And to me, whenever I see really large impulse manifolds glowing, I also see a lot of secondary reactors that give it a lot of extra power. 
Now I heard the improved hole integrity included like a subspace force field that also kind of kept all the smells inside and it became known as parliament funk. Is that true? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Okay. I don't smells, know where I heard that. Smells, smells travel faster than light anyway. So. It may have been on memory beta. I may have read that yeah, on memory yeah, yeah, beta, yeah, yeah. I think. So I, I also made this a, one of those starships that while it's primarily human, it isn't all human. It, it's it's also made by like the Vega colony, which is mostly human, but also Tellar. And the Tellarites name their ships differently in this case, because they use political terms, whereas the human built starships tend to use political division terms. So, you know, like Baja, I have written down here, Sea of Tranquility, where the Tellarites are like quorum, parliament, you know, things like That's that. Funny. Very good. I was happy to see a Vulcan ship in here. In fact, I feel that that I honestly think that it's competing. This is uh, the the next ship we're talking about, the Tekalat. I'm going to pronounce it Tekalat. Um, that that lower decks is competing with Enterprise when it comes to screen time for Vulcan ships. I feel like lower decks is is taking them out now. Maybe, yeah. I mean, we do see a Vulcan ship in Prodigy, mm-hmm. but that's only very briefly. Yeah, it's but I actually good. really like Vulcan ships. Ever when I see them, whether it's the yes. fighter level or whether it's the big one, they're designed. They don't get enough screen time, in my opinion. Vulcan ships. Yeah, yeah, and they they tend to look the same, which I even reference in the write up here. Like Vulcan ships tend to not change because. It's a design that works, so logically we shouldn't change it. Exactly. That just makes sense to me, too. But, um, you know, we see Romulans all day and we see Klingon birds of prey. We, I mean, man, we see Ferengi ships so much. But but I really love the design of, of Vulcan ships, so I like how you did. And the size of the one, of course, that shows up in Lower Decks is just immense. Yeah, but the, the ones that show up in Enterprise are also fairly large compared to NX-01. So it didn't surprise me to see such a large Vulcan ship um hey okay they build them big you want to have a whole bunch of vulcans together they tend to be kind of off on their own anyway uh and i don't know it it made sense i tend to explain the ring warp as uh as being something that can maintain a very fast warp speed for low power usage but it has difficulty maneuvering at warp so there is like a reason why there's ring warp ships you get fast speed low power usage but if you really need to move or you're going through like rough space time it might not be the best so that's why there is that kind of choice to just keep these ships hey we know where we're going we're not going anywhere special our sensors are you know well tuned enough that we can see really far and see any rough space coming up so we can just sort of slowly turn and avoid it i don't know just an idea just an idea for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. I think uh, one of the things I appreciate about the um, the the Luna, the Parliament, the Obina, and the Tzakalat is, uh, you know, they're all new space frames for the most part in Lower Decks. And mm-hmm. if you think about Lower Decks as a continuation of the next generation, uh, and then you think of like the overall tone of the series, you know, going from next gen, no, like not, not so much the movies, but the, you know, next gen into Lower Decks, there's, there's really kind of more of a, you know, post-war, hopeful, let's get back to exploring kind of vibe mm-hmm. where we're, we're going to be doing the Starfleet thing. 
before it starts getting dark and we get into Picard and like things, you know, fall off the fall off the wagon and you know, Mars gets, you know, whacked and then you know they get the Borg and all that other stuff that are happening. But you know, depending on on, you know, as a game master and a group of players, like depending on how you want to treat canon, you you might choose to go with like the late next gen era, lower decks, you know, and these classes of ships mm-hmm. and go, you know, maybe Picard not to be you know, negative about Picard, but you know, maybe you just decide, you know what, the events of Picard don't happen or haven't happened. And we're going to kind of just go on our own tangent here. And we're going to do some deep space exploration with a parliament class. And, you know, things are happening in the Alpha Quadrant with with everything that's going on with Picard. And that's fine. But we're out here, you know, pushing the edge of the envelope, pushing the frontier, doing all this cool exploration sciencey stuff on a parliament class or an Obina or a Luna, whatever. Um, I just, I, I like that tone of, of lower decks um and 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 late next gen and, and i think these these write-ups that you did for these different starships really just kind of fit right into that uh mm-hmm. so it's more colorful it's more fun it's it's more um not quite strange new worldsy but uh it, it just gets back to that 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 exciting part of star trek that really excites me and it's not so much the 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 really heavy stuff that we get in picard not to say that that's bad necessarily it's just not mm-hmm. not quite what i wanted and then like lower decks is Hitting that and hitting me in a different level, and I think these these space rooms really tie into that because it gives me me personally like it gives me great lots of ideas like oh if I want to go explore the you know parts of the Beta Quadrant that had never been explored before the Parliament or the Obina or, or the ships that I want to use or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just I, I appreciate that uh, this is just giving game masters and players even more tools to play with to think about how do we want to run our game, where do we want to run our game in the timeline, mm-hmm. and then what kind of tone you want to throw into that because the ship. That you pick for your game ties right into all that because you the, again we've talked about it a, a number of times that the ship is an important character in your mm-hmm. campaign and this gives you four more like like almost like life paths right we present new life paths in the book in chapter um five i think and now we've got we've got a bunch of new space frames for you to pick so so you know these are the life paths for your um uh for your ship mm-hmm. michael it looks like you're going to add something no, no, I was looking at some of the other ships. I was just oh, okay. I was looking forward to it. No, I, I, to that point, no, because there's there's just so many to select from yeah. in here. Like I thought Utopia Planitia, of course, is amazing because there's just so many, but um, having all these to add and just even you could be Federation and not be on the standard looking type yeah. of ship now that you could be a Federation Vulcan ship or the Andorian made ship. It's like, why not? Like, and what are the personalities in those ships? That's what I was thinking about, Jim. Yeah. The, the last one like that is the Ganasha. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's by combination Andorian Tellarite ship that they tried to design together and failed to come to a proper agreement on exactly what its mission <laughs> should be but you see them well i mean of course because the tellerites are always right well maybe but uh they, they you see these ships in a couple shots where in season one where you see a couple of them docked i think it's at douglas station yeah and they look completely different like two of them look completely different because one has like big fins on it and the other one's just kind of plain but they resemble the old andorian cruisers from enterprise so I thought, okay, I love not? those Let's... ships too. Oh, those I, I loved Andorians and Enterprise are the best. I mean, so that was really good to so, see that. Yeah, they 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 designed this ship together and didn't really come to a good conclusion. So it's a fairly heavily armed ship, but it's not it's not a battle cruiser. 
It just has a lot of weapons. So like the Tellarite ones tend to focus on being a multi-role explorer, whereas the Andorian ones tend to be like these gunships that are patrolling the Federation borders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's interesting. I don't know if we want to go into, to, into that any further before we move on to other ones. I just thought I needed to have mentioned those ships because they, they are in the background, but since they do appear and and jump out at you if you're a fan of enterprise mm-hmm. come on they have to be they have to be in this book right yeah no i think i i appreciate them being in here because they they represent some of the, the diversity of the federation that we honestly just don't see enough of on screen right like not, like not every federation ship has to be a saucer and nacelles right mm-hmm. you know you know you know shoot me but that's that's just where it is and i know mm-hmm. some of the later designs uh, from certain uh, designers, you know, kind of get away from that. Like the, the Defiant is certainly atypical because mm. it doesn't really have a saucer. It does have the nacelles, but they're all, you know, compact inside the inside the inside the body. And, and so I think the 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 Ganashia is just a, a cool design and it's just different. And uh, honestly, just listening to you talk about the you know the 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 Andorian and the Tellarite engineers having to figure out how are we going to design this thing. Like shoot, that's a campaign in and of itself. Right. Okay. You're 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 either an Andorian engineer or or a uh, a Tellarite engineer, and you're coming together as part of the Federation. And like we're gonna we're gonna co-design a new ship, you know, a new space frame. What's this gonna look like? And like how did that conversation come to happen? And like what was that whole design process looking like? And uh, I think there's all kinds of fun you can have with that as as they you know, oh yeah communications. And I I love uh, well I I I shouldn't say I love but I I like what I wrote here where it says. I say that the frame was considered a thing of beauty by the Andorians in an inefficient but barely acceptable form by the Tellarites. <laughs> like, of course, they're going to insult what the Andorians think yeah. is beautiful, but they're going to use it just because it's barely acceptable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we go into the notable, the notable Federation starships that just kind of sit by themselves. But I, 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 I kind of want to jump to the USS McDuff yeah, because ahead. that's in one of the best uh, holodeck episodes where Mariner has to escape from uh, from being captured, okay? And I thought, well, let's say that this whole holodeck adventure is based on real events that take place during the Dominion War. What were those real events that USS McDuff, NCC 1877, had to go through? What, what, what led to this ship being captured and, and, and being there? Um, I don't know. I, I, I liked that. And since it is like a, a Dominion War-esque Miranda class, it's kind of scary because Miranda is being upgraded throughout the years with their refits um, and, and then being refit for fighting in the Dominion War. It makes them kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For, for being things that were built in like the late 23rd century. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff, and then we got the uh, uh, the classic Vulcan warp shuttle. Uh, we even dropped in the uh, the Douglas type station and the uh, Watchtower class starbase. Anything you want to add on the uh, on the two new starbase designs? I have a um, question. I have a question too on one of them too. Uh, okay, the watch, go, go. just so I'm clear, the Watchtower class station is that that's different than a starbase twenty five, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Watchtower class station is that pulled from Beta Cannon? No, no, it's it's actually in the in in the series. It's mentioned a couple times that there's okay. a watch, like Watchtower Base or something like that. Okay. Um, right. It's just a smaller 
a smaller star base, a slightly smaller star base than like what you would see for Earth Dock or a Douglas type station. A Douglas okay. type station is basically old Earth space dock. Um, mm -hmm. Effectively, watchtowers are just slightly smaller. Okay. And so we don't have a Starbase 25 right up in this one? No. Okay. Got it. I Because that's where you, you saw the two ships that you were talking about, the Ganesha style ships were parked yeah, there. Yeah. So I was wondering that. Because yeah. that, that's a crazy looking space station, too. <laughs> it, it's, I, I'm pretty sure that's a Douglas type. Okay. Got it. So it just fits in there. I didn't want to like detail out every single Starbase that we saw, just kind of like putting in broad general. <laughs> categories and then you, you tweak things no aaron you did want to detail every starbase we saw there's just not enough room to do well it. if i looked at my early drafts i'm sure i did but exactly you know word counts being that what they are exactly um, yeah. but we get yeah. it we get into to jim's favorite section the pack lid starships right <laughs> yes should i talk about like uh, that there are construction rules in here for pack yeah definitely starships. go for it Mm -hmm. um but it's it's at the end and it's basically that you choose a scale and it's it's sort of like the frankenstein fleet whereas you you, you clump together a whole bunch of different starships and i don't know you, it, it's it's actually their systems and departments are based on their size but you can't get them much bigger and they're they aren't as effective as an equivalent starship from like starfleet but that doesn't mean that they aren't effective with what what they do. Like they're just not as oomphy. Well, I love the the picture, the illustration on page one sixty five under your clump ship construction inset box, where it has that diagram of how it's put together. It's so cool. It's like Legos or something. Uh, and there's parts that are unknown. So to think that the packlids, we know they were rife through the gamma quadrant mm -hmm. that they're they're picking up technology from species the federation hasn't even met or identified mm -hmm. is is story gold is, is just there and they even said they had some board components too i think in one of the episodes right so yeah a really great illustration to match that that frankenstein fleet concept yes um and there's lots of uh so we we, we start with like the pack led battle harpy you know it's just kind of a small fighter uh, and we see that in a few episodes. And then, you know, I thought, okay, well, what are we going to name these ships? And I thought, well, the Packlids are just going to name their ships for, in a very descriptive, simple way. So we have the Sneaky Clump, the Searchy Clump, Enterprise Clump. And you can, you, you can assume what the Enterprise Clump does. It acts like the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> the Toey Clump, Big Hat Clump, because Big Hats lead. And then you have your Killer Clump, which is your Big Hammer. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of, of little funny references, but I mean, it's not all just comedy. I try to actually put like serious reasons why these ships were built. Um, but I am sure that you can find at least one very funny reference to something in each one of these, in each one of these write-ups. Uh, and I actually, I will, I will spoil a little bit, but there is a direct reference to, uh, Monty Python on the Holy Grail in one of these. Excellent. I don't know if you if you have ever figured it out or not. I'm gonna have to go back and read it again. Yes, I'll read it as well. Well, it's it's that when they designed one of their ships, it had a lot of warp nacelles to go very very fast, and the first the the first one turned its entire crew inside out. The second one, when it returned, all it had were giant salamander looking things on it. And the third one, the third one worked. 
Michael's just like kind of clicking what, what the hell that means. Well, I know the second one, I get the Voyager reference. Yeah. Yeah. But the third no, one, it's, it's, it's holy. It's, it's the castle falling down, man. The castle. Oh man, I'm going to have to go back and watch again. That's like 15 so the third one, years. The third one stayed standing, you know? Okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to go watch it one more time. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Okay. Got okay, it. okay. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm the one that knows all the, all the, holy grail references i guess i'm straight <laughs> i know all the lyrics you know i know all the words to star trek undiscovered country ferris bueller's day off and mannequin just stick with that okay. and, and, and little okay. shop of horrors <laughs> okay i i'm with you mannequin good movie mm-hmm. good movie all right anyway <laughs> anyway so uh, and, and the hits keep coming so we, you know we cover the federation the klingons the pack leads uh, and then we get into into some of the wide variety of other Polity starships that appeared uh, throughout mm-hmm. Lower Decks, uh, and gosh, again, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, again, you know, they they managed to pack a lot of stuff into these episodes, and uh, we've got uh, Gil Gilrakian crystal uh, crystal ships. We've got the the boarding shuttle, which was in that mm-hmm. one episode where we were cutting their way into the uh, into the hulls. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, my personal favorite, honestly, I, I want to skip to this a little bit and just talk about the 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 Monavine. The Monavine. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much. It was such a great, you know, the, the whole Ren Fair thing was a total kick to me. And and the the poem that you wrote um, to uh, to accompany the write up on the <laughs> sidebar, I was like, that was inspired. And I, I I fought really hard to make sure we found a place to keep it in. And uh, fortunately, we were able to make a, a design thing work with it to get it in there. And, uh, and, and also yeah. importantly, is that Paramount approved it and and, and let us keep it in there. <laughs> So that was that was a big yeah. thing is that we could, we could we could do that. And I have to ask, was it in the show the the type of ship was that in the show? Or did you make that up? Uh, what well, just Monavine? No, its name. no, it being a twerk type vessel. It's twerk type. Page no, no, you're looking. That's that's that is a that is a separate ship. It's just that the art for Monavine is on that page. Oh, okay. I was gonna say. Oh my lord! Did I? Okay, no, oh, no, 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 no. You're it's right. That, that confused right, right. me. That, that's good. Okay. you're right. That's so yeah. I spent. That's click it. Darn, that would have been so cool. No, a twerk type ship. No, I spent way too much time writing Monavine and, and that poem. And thank you for editing that poem because I am not a a person that can can write an iambic pentameter very well. <laughs> I am not a. Uh, I, I am not skilled in that. Um, but I tried to also explain that, you know, neither are the Hyperians, uh, they, they, they are, uh, Hyperians. They are not, uh, skilled at iambic pentameter. In fact, they misuse terms all the time. And, uh, the universal translator tends to not be able to, to figure out what the hell they're saying. I would figure that they're more into Irish limericks. Uh, probably. So. I tried to actually change names for the different systems. So you'll see that instead of phasers, they have holy light, most glorious mm-hmm. and their photon torpedoes are actually magic missiles <laughs> because you know that uh, the gemstones in their, in their ceremonial rings are D twenties. Um, yeah. Armor of shimmering Samite. There's another Holy grail reference. Yeah. Yep. Um, her her middle most thick. Come on. <laughs> with with improper vowel usage. Okay, so let's. I don't know. I like the write up. I like. The, I, I I had fun writing that. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think honestly, I think the uh, the the talent description, uh, the talent renamings were inspired, and uh, yeah. you know, obviously, we had to keep in the parentheses just to make sure people understood the Ooh, reference. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. 
um, you know, you know, baths and brothels and uh, and throne room. I was like, oh, this totally makes sense to me. <laughs> Those are great. Yeah, I, just, her, I love this one. Yeah. yeah, people should be doing this. They should be changed. Even if you keep a talent, change the name of it to make it distinct to the character and add personality. We've talked about that before. Do the same with ships. I really love that you did that, Aaron. Yeah. Both. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Nathan put that in the core book from the way, I mean, seven years ago, way back at the very beginning. Uh, there's a, there's a, no, I mean, it's probably buried in the text and people probably missed it, but he encourages people, look, if, a, if, a, if you are creating a character or a ship and the, just the simple title of the talent doesn't fit your, your, uh, your vision, just change the title. It's, it's mm -hmm. not going to hurt anything. Uh, you might, you know, have to tell your other players, this is what it means. But, uh, you know, be willing to 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 get flexible with this and have fun with it. It's not like you're hidebound, beholden to mm -hmm. every word that's in the book. Like, if it doesn't work for you, then change it. If we're not going to come to your house. We Like, we are too busy making the next book to come to your house and tell you you're playing it wrong. So just, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you get creative. Have fun with it. So then we have twerks, twer twerk ships <laughs> from, from the clickets. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, th those are there. And uh, we have a Burrell class that we see yep. pop up, Drukmani transports. Mm -hmm. We have that. And then we have a section of ground vehicles, which I think is the first time we first actually time. have put, put ground vehicles in. Yep. And I, I mentioned that, hey, you just basically use shuttlecraft and shuttle pods as the base of construction. This is how you make these things. Mm -hmm. So we have the hydroscoot, which I don't know, is, is it, that's, in, that's in the episode where they're actually on the holodeck for that right. part. Yep. Yeah. Galrakian hover cycle that we see again with like the crystal stuff and Argo. The Argo is listed in here. These are fun. Now, now, now our uh, ship has to have some of these land-based vehicles. We're going to have to find a place to park them. <laughs> oh yeah. It's really I mean, cool. We're in, we're in uh, 2385. So we, we can easily have a vehicle replicator down in the shuttle bay. Oh, there you go. Major, yeah. major. Uh, transit buggy. That's the last one. And and the transit buggy we see a few times, but I, I tend to remember it tearing around a star base. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that's a fun one. Yeah. I I uh I don't remember it. I'd have to reread the description. I I, I think it might have been a missed opportunity if we didn't get some sort of blues brothers reference into it about because because that's what I was thinking about when they were driving the the buggy through the star base and crashing through uh through uh kiosks and stuff oh like, lots I, was, of room. I was totally vibing off the blues brothers and uh, i don't remember if we snuck in a reference to it or not but boy we should have if we if we didn't <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's lots of room in this star base yeah it has yeah, everything yeah yeah, yeah. Um, no. but yeah so i think it, it was a really nice uh I, I was really glad we had the room to fit in some ground vehicles i know a few people have been asking you know for seven years now we really haven't gotten any of the ground vehicles into any of our books uh there aren't really that many ground vehicles in star trek um you know we, we've yeah. seen references to a you know couple i mean the argo being the the big example um but like uh um you know i guess the the lower decks especially had a few different kind of ground vehicles or at least hover vehicles mm -hmm. um i think ds9 referenced uh uh in the, the siege of ar uh 558 or whatever they referenced uh military skimmers kind of thing Mm -hmm. But you don't see you don't see them on screen. You just have to infer that they're being used. Um, so yeah, I was glad to, to add that to this book, uh, partly because I don't think a lot of people are are expecting it, which is mm -hmm. nice. It's nice to surprise people. Um, but uh, it just again more tools for you to play with and uh, and use and uh, mm -hmm. see it. We see it in um, 
Uh, it was Nemesis, right? The Argo appears in Nemesis. Yes, in, and in so, Nemesis. Uh, yeah. There's ground vehicles in uh, the for in the 2009 Star Trek movie as well. But oh, right. Yeah. I'll I'll make a 20th century sports car at some point if we haven't got the rights <laughs> for that. There's right. horses. There's horses in Strange New Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> there are yes and actually now that you mentioned that michael I, i'm not sure i'm not sure we've actually statted up horses yet <laughs> mm. or, or mounted mounts how to mount um animals like yeah. mounted animals oh, yeah, yeah we've point. seen it we've seen that in the movies in the kelvin timeline too aaron you again never cease to amaze with your ability to give each one of these ships, ground vehicles, star bases, its own personality. Remember everyone watching this, your ship is a character and yes. uh, it's these details that, that make it rich. And, and really again, lower decks added more there. The ships are flying off the shelf there. So, so keep your eyes open. Cause I'm sure we'll see more, more write-ups of the goodies we see from there. Good job, Aaron. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I'm happy that I could, I could actually provide these and, and hopefully give people ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff as always. Uh, so thank you. All right. So that wraps up chapter seven of this uh, Lower Decks campaign guide. I hope you all are enjoying the series. We've got two more chapters to go and then we'll be uh, wrapping it up here and moving on to the next thing. So uh, let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. And uh, Michael, why don't you uh, kick us off with some uh, gratitude? All right. I put the call out last week for people to just give some, you know, ideas about what people love most about STA. I'll shout out a couple of them. One of our, of course, freelance writers and uh, uh, contributors to this show, Al Spader, he made a comment, which I love. He says, I truly believe that STA is responsible for pulling me out of a deep depression once COVID hit. So I love hearing that. What gratitude. And I agree with that. I mean, it, it was a lifesaver for me too. Jim Ward, I like what he says. He says, the game is great, but the living support system, including continuing new publications and supplements, is far beyond any other game system I've seen. Add in the ability to contact and give input and feedback to the people making the game just far beyond expectations. Kudos to everyone involved. There's some good feels. That's our gratitude. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to, I mean, Al, boy, I, I didn't know that. I, I guess I didn't hear that. Um, I'm with you, man. Uh, mm -hmm. If it wasn't for STA, the, the other writers, Jim, uh, the players in our group, when COVID hit, boy, that would have been a lot more lonely, a lot, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had the, the people around me giving me support and uh, love, all that. Thank you. That That's very true, Al. You know, I'm, I'm just going to second, I'm going to second Al on this one because it is true. Like we as a, as a community, STA, you know, Star Trek, it's all about coming together, being supportive of each other. It's we're, together, we're better. We're better together than apart and supporting each other has always been something yeah. our community does so Co thank you. covid was a long two to three year mission and we were all on the same ship together which made it endurable yeah. starship earth right mm -hmm. well i didn't think that was where we were going but uh, i think oh. uh thank you al and thank you aaron for uh for, for those notes i think um i mean I've, I've talked about it um on off and on some of these shows that uh um like for me personally the world really sucked like starting around 2016 right and uh and it was grim <laughs> for me personally and uh, and then and then on top of that we had covid right so it was it was like a lot of political stuff going on and then the world and then everything else was happening and then covid hit on top of all that stuff 
and uh, you know somewhere in there in, in that whole haze of uh, um, all that you know my uh, my dad passed away and uh, and then friends passed away because of COVID and you couldn't go to the funerals and it's like oh it's just a horrible stuff one thing after another and um, and throughout all of that I was working on Star Trek Adventures and um, that was my that was well and truly my lifeline for for a long time. And, um, you know, I just worked my way through and it got to be, you know, I, I was the, I became project project manager with like right before COVID pretty much. Um, and, uh, and that gave me something to really focus on that. I mean, honestly, I think it saved my life, um, more than once. And, um, I was able to, to find friendships with all of you and the fans through Star Trek adventures. And I, I, I also, as a, as an editor, I discovered that, um, I really enjoyed editing and I really enjoyed giving other people opportunities to get into this, right? And to and to and to write and to do art and to do stuff and to get involved in the game on a different level than just being a fan. Like I was able to pull in a lot of fans uh, to actually write for me, and they're really good, and that's why I keep coming back to them. But um, I think um, um, these last seven years have been challenging in a number of variety, number of different ways uh, for me. And um, I've got I've got such a a backlist of of Star Trek adventure stuff I can look back on now and say, wow. Even with all that stuff that was going on in the world and in the meta and in my life and just in general, we still have this amazing, you know, body of work that we've been able to put together and there's still more coming. And I'm just so excited because we get to share all that with the fans who are who are vibing off of this stuff, too, and are really enjoying it. And uh, uh, so, yeah, so thanks to to all of you, you know, Aaron, Michael, Al, Troy. Fred, I mean, all of the, like every freelancer, there's so many now, I can't name them all all in one go. It would take me some time to pull the list together, but uh, the freelancer, the writers, the editors, the proofreaders, the designers, the artists, everybody who's working, everybody at Modiphius who's been, um, you know, keeping Star Trek going uh, and and like willing to keep it going, obviously in Paramount, everybody at Paramount for for believing in the work that we're doing and uh, appreciating the work we're doing and, and like giving us the lower deck license to play with. And say here, you know, we like what you're doing with every, all the legacy series. Take lower decks and Picard and Discovery. Go see what you can do with it, and uh, hopefully this this book lives up to it. Uh, so thanks to all those people involved in the game. And then again, you know, I can't say it enough. Thanks to the fans, uh, because uh, at some point during the pandemic, I I turn I made a turn in my brain to to realizing that we were really doing this for the fans, not so much for us for our own aggrandizement and the you know our own benefit, uh, but really for the fans because because we're we're building a new game system right we're building this whole new legacy of uh rpgs that are on the shoulders of decipher and and last unicorn games and fasa and everything else now we're the next generation of of rpgs uh, some other generation will come after us at some point but uh i think michael you've mentioned a couple of times that uh you know the next generation of star trek writers whether they're they're novelists or comic book writers or maybe tv or movies or whatever you know, maybe they'll look at our stuff and, and and pull some ideas out of there, just like they pulled ideas out of the fastest stuff and the last unicorn game stuff and the cyber stuff. I don't presume to know that they will do that, but this is a, a hell of an impressive body of work that we put together over the last seven years. It's an years. encyclopedia. It's an it's encyclopedia so level stuff. of it's information. So and yeah. uh, like 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 when this game finally goes to pass year, knock on wood that it's not for a long time yet, as a game master. Like I have, I have more material than I could possibly ever use in my lifetime as a game master. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be running Star Trek Adventures for the rest of my life, and I am, I am set with material, right? Even though we've got more to come, and and like, 
Uh, I, the sky's the limit at this point, but there's just so much cool stuff here that I just haven't had time to go back and reread because I'm working on the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. And but every now and then, every now and then, I'll tell you, every time and then I have a, I have a down moment um, or a quiet moment at work uh, at, or during the day, and because I've got all my books right next to my workspace, I'll just grab a random book off the shelf and just flip through it and go like, mm-hmm. oh shit, oh yeah, I, I do the same thing. I, do I, the start, same I start thing. riffing, I start riffing in my brain. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I could, I could go here and I could go there and I could go there and. Uh, I just need I just need the time to write all this stuff down. But uh, anyway, yeah. all that all right. I, am, I think I'm our ready. limit our limitation isn't ideas; it's time. It's time. <laughs> that's, Indeed. Yeah, that's really what it totally. is. Yeah. So yeah. I try to live forever. I'm, I'm still working on that. Yeah, right. And, and I'll tell you, Aaron, that is that is the power of the Star Trek franchise. It, now that is now it's 57 years old or whatever. The the tapestry is so huge, mm-hmm. and there's so many places that are still unexplored. That with all these tools, and not just from us, but from the comic books and the novels and the, all the different thousand episodes uh, that are out there, like there are so many. Like as a game, as a as a role player, like we have an embarrassment of riches to play with, and like you could you could tell all kinds of Star Trek stories, and we're just adding our own humble contribution to that. Uh, so hopefully you, you know you know what you make me want to do Jim too this is going to be its own conversation at one point because I know we're wrapping up but I know I feel like I should start a company that does vacations like you you know you go rent like a cabin somewhere that's comfortable has like four rooms and you bring together people who want to RPG for a week so that we can get through as many modules as possible yeah that would be an amazing vacation getaway you know you can go just jet skiing a little bit barbecue but then like at least a good solid eight hours of RPG a day for like five days straight how cool would that be as a vacation getaway that would be fantastic and in fact it's funny that you mentioned that michael and look i know we're i know we're wrapping up but this is a long digression and i apologize a little bit but but uh my family and i went on a on a family retreat this past weekend just to get away just to unplug just to have some connection time with other families and uh um and get away and it, it was at a uh it was at a campsite and i i swear to you that when we walked into the cabin and saw the like the common room and the the screen porch and then the the section behind the cabin that was like um several picnic tables in a circle around a around a campfire I, I was like the very first thing i thought of is like was this would be a fantastic retreat center for a gaming group to go to and just game all weekend long See? and yeah. it was like in that circle around the bonfire that would be perfect for some star trek adventures yeah, and then I mean, you you can even get it. You know, there's there's places I've gone to before where you you go and they even have like a cook. Like you can at you can yep. ask for an additional service to come in. I would still be like, okay, this is part of the thing too. If someone cooks for us the whole time, oh my right. goodness! Oh, mm. right. well, we got to make it happen. We'll, 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 like if uh, if we can find something like that in uh, Ticonderoga, New York, we'll have to do like a Star Trek mm. Adventures um, oh. uh, summit. Mm. Go to the original series uh, tour, the Next Gen tour in Ticonderoga. And then go to this cabin or whatever and just spend the whole weekend gaming. I just named the business too. (laughs) RP Getaways. Can you see it? RPG. RPG. RP Getaways. Trademarked. Okay. All right. right, Anyways. All right. Anyway, so that was a long goodbye. So uh, (laughs) so thanks everybody for being here. Thanks for uh, uh, Michael. Thanks to you. Aaron, thanks to you. Thank you. Uh, Live long and prosper. Be safe. IDIC. Okay, bye, everybody. Talk to you all next time. Thanks, Until everybody. next time. Bye-bye.